No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. This is your host, Sarah Box. Today, I have a great guest, Kelly DiNardo. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Kelly, but the treat will be when you get to hear from Kelly herself. She has great energy. She's got a great story to share. And just looking at her, you can't see her, but I can. She's just got positive energy exuding out of every pore. So Kelly is a freelance journalist and the author of several books, including her most recent, which is Living the Sutras, A Guide to Yoga with Yoga Wisdom Beyond the Mat. And I know that's going to play into our conversation today. But some of the other things that Kelly does, she's a co-host at Living It, which is a podcast for people who want to live life on purpose which is a common theme that we talk about. And her co-host is Amy Pierce Hayden. She's also the owner of Past Tense Yoga Studio. Oh my God, what a great name, Um, which is (laughs) in Washington, D.C. And she started that 10 years ago and went from a small startup to now over 50 employees. So she did that while she was doing all of the other things she's doing. And Kelly, with that as a little introduction, I think the one thing I want to tell our listeners, though, as a longtime yoga teacher and studio owner, I found it interesting that you admit to struggling with savasana or meditation, right? Because we have this whole fake picture of like, ah, yoga teacher, everything's mellow, they can meditate. (laughs) So tell us a little about yourself and why that's a challenge for you. Yeah, well, I am, I think I'm a pretty energetic person. And so stillness is very challenging for me. So whether that's the stillness that comes in Shavasana at the end of class, or the stillness that is required in meditation, not just sitting, because you can certainly have a walking meditation, but the idea of stilling your mind is very challenging, um, which means I need to do it. (laughs) I need to practice more often, both of those things. And so I try to, and I've learned some tricks. Like I know I do better with both if I've had some movement first. So a good run or a nice sweaty slow class, and I'm much more likely to be able to to be still. I think it's just an internal energy that that I have. I was going to ask if that's like a burn off of the energy or dispelling, kind of letting go of all the the energy that pents up in ourselves. Yes, absolutely. For me, at least. Well, um, you know, when you started Past Tense Yoga, you were well into, you know, a successful career as a journalist and you travel and have written for major publications. What on earth possessed you to start? It requires time and attention and a location. Yes. Well, you know, I had been practicing and teaching yoga for a while, and this was in 2009, and journalism was having, going through a rough patch. There, a lot of magazines were closing or going through layoffs or just kind of generally restructuring. I lost a couple of my regular gigs and started to panic that journalism was dying and I was going to be out of a job and, oh my God, what was I going to do? And my boyfriend at the time, now husband, said to me, well, if you weren't a journalist, what would you do? And this was admittedly after a couple glasses of wine. And I do not know where this answer came from, but I 
said I'd open a yoga studio. And it was the first time I had ever thought anything like that. But once the idea popped into my head, it really stuck. And I started to look at the neighborhood we lived in very differently and um, really started to think about it. And within six months or less of that happening, I opened Past Tense. And thankfully, journalism is not dead. I still have a thriving freelance career. But I also have the yoga studio now too. And they're really quite complementary, even though they seem kind of divergent. Because I am an extrovert and an energetic person, it's nice to have an outward facing job, you know, something with immediate gratification with the studio versus the writing, which is far more solitary and much more quiet and internal. So, wine aside, first of yes. all, what a great <laughs> question. Now, husband, to ask you. Yes. No, that is a perfect, like, open question where you're just the immediate comes, right? If you're right. blocking it. So, did you know in that moment that it, did it click for you and you went, oh, that's a truth I haven't spoken before? Or did you think you were nuts? I uh, no, somewhere in between. <laughs> I, I, I thought it or I said it and then I thought, oh, where did that come from? And then it made sense. It just, it felt, I don't know where it came from, but it came from someplace that was true. I think. It resonated with you. Though. It did. Absolutely. Yes. So had you ever owned a business? No, I mean, my writing business and I, I definitely treated it as such, but no, I never so owned a business. Where you had to have a, a lease or a rent and employees and all that kind of thing. No. So how did you go? How did you take those steps? What did you do to be ready to do that? Yeah. And I think truthfully, some of my naivete was to my benefit because I think if I had known everything I was getting myself into, I don't know if I would have taken the leap. Um, I think knowledge would have instilled a little bit of fear there. So I, you know, I approached it the way I approach a lot of my stories. I talked to, I did a ton of research, you know, I went deep down internet holes about starting a business. I went to a conference, a yoga related conference and spoke to people about the business side of things. And I interviewed and talked to anyone I could think of who had opened a business or was starting a business. And I just talked to a lot of people. And then at the same time, I spent a lot of time looking around my neighborhood for an actual location. And I got very lucky that the woman who, the developer who had built our condo building was, had an office space in, um, available and we knew each other. And so she really was very kind and helpful while I was kind of pulling together numbers and, and all of the kind of background information that she needed in order to lease me a space. But I, you know, I, I wasn't dealing with some big corporate real estate house or agency. So I think that was really helpful. I also am super lucky in having this amazing family with really helpful skills. My dad's an attorney, um, my, my brother's in finance. And so I definitely turned to them when I needed things. I think they thought I was crazy, but I also know that they think I'm determined and smart and stubborn. And so 
they were very supportive. Well, clearly you've been doing research, so you probably had great questions to ask them. Yes, I did. So, So, you know, that time, 2009, 2010, the economy really was in a turmoil. So that was a tough time to be starting. Mm -hmm. But also when... I'm just thinking about how perfect, even though it's a new startup business, how perfect a yoga practice is for people who are stressed out or going through change financially. And I know that's something that you talk about or have experienced in your own life about how how that actually has helped you through transitions. Absolutely. I mean, when I think about it, yoga is the constant whenever I've had a big life challenge. So I worked at USA Today for a few years and was thinking about leaving my job and wasn't really sure what to do next. And my practice got a lot more consistent when I was going through that. And I really credit that practice, my practice then for helping me make the decision to freelance and then keeping me sane while I was starting that business and starting out on my own. And then when the economy was rough and I was thinking that journalism was going was dying and oh my God, what was I gonna do to make a living? And I'd been out of an office and real job, quote unquote, for way too long. And I thought, oh my God, I am in so much trouble. Yoga was the the solution for me there too. It, you know, it was I got much more serious about my practice at that time, which is probably one of the reasons that when my boyfriend asked me, "What would you do?" It, yoga came to my brain, and truthfully, with past tense, I very selfishly built the studio and community that I wanted and that I needed. And I'm so lucky and so grateful that that resonated with other people in my neighborhood and in, in DC, but that, that building that as stressful as building that business was the benefit was I had to go to yoga a lot. (laughs) So it really helped. And then, you know, we moved, we lived in DC and then we moved to Switzerland and then we moved to Madison, Wisconsin. And that move to Madison from Switzerland was really challenging We, for me. We did it when our, when my son was five weeks old and we moved in January and that is as crazy as it sounds to move to the upper Midwest. And that, you know, that was a real struggle for me. And I very much recommitted to my practice at that point. And that was, that ended up being how I met Amy uh, Pierce Hayden, who is my co-author on the book and my co-host for Living It and my friend. And so yoga has been there for me in, it's been a stabilizing force whenever I've gone through these big life challenges. And it's also been this surprising gift in some way, right? Like, I mean, I was going through a challenge and I ended up opening this yoga studio that is my home and my community in so many ways. And I was going through another big challenge and I ended up writing a book (laughs) about yoga with a new friend. So ended up having this like really lovely trickle down effect on my life and my career. So, but that's for me, that is how I deal with stress and challenge in my life. When you talk about having a yoga practice, Mm -hmm. What does that mean? 
Mm. What is a yoga practice? Is it long? Is it daily? Is it hours? I mean, I think we have these or can have these assumptions about what a practice is or must be or should be. Yeah. Well, I, you know, we, I'm going to steal something that Rod Stryker said on the first episode of our, of the Living It podcast, which is that you can do asana or the, the physical postures of yoga and never actually practice yoga. And you can practice yoga and never actually do the physical posture. So you can practice and never do down dog. So if that is stressing you out, just let go of that right now. Yoga really is a mind thing. It, it is about getting your mind still and calm to the point where you can really understand your own true nature and your own true purpose. And when you can do that, then you can make different kinds of decisions. And, you know, it's just such a important guidepost or framework for life when you can, when you can see that clearly. So, you know, if, if for you, if getting quiet and still in your mind involves taking a walk um, in nature or going for a swim, or going to church, or meditation, then that is your yoga practice. And as for how often, I mean, I do love the physical practice of yoga. I I do. And I think that there are a lot of benefits to it as well, physical benefits. So for me, I do, I practice the physical practice a couple of times a week. Um, Sometimes it's at a studio, sometimes it's in my office or in my home. Sometimes it's 75 minutes in a class and sometimes it's five minutes. I do meditate, not nearly as often as I should. (laughs) Um, And I've taken to going for walks at lunch now that the weather has shifted and, and I don't listen to anything, even music. I just try and be out in nature. And so all of those things for me are part of my practice. So when you think about, you talk about the five, the five practices of sustainable habits and what they look like off the yoga mat. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, What is that? What are those? Yes. So this is actually um, something that I wanted to be able to share with people who, especially who aren't introduced and don't know yoga, to be a really accessible entree into what the practice can be in a more holistic sense. So the the first practice of sustainable happiness is to create a moral code. So in in yoga, there is something called the yamas and the niyamas. And it's, it's essentially, people often compare it to the 10 commandments of yoga is what they'll say. I don't like the word commandments. It seems far too dogmatic um, for my, for my brain, but they're, they're guidelines for how to treat yourself, how to treat others, how to live in the world. And I think whether or not you choose the 10 commandments, the official 10 commandments, or you choose the yamas and the niyamas, that having a moral code, a personal moral code is incredibly important. It gives your life some structure and guidance, especially when you have tough decisions to make. So, you know, it can be very, it can be a very simple sentence, but I really encourage people to create their own moral code. So 
for example, in, in our house, we have one family rule, which is you treat people and things with love and respect. And from there, everything else gets to be really easy, right? You don't hit or steal or lie because that's not treating people with love and respect. So my son, who's now four and a half, he's got that, right? Like that's our moral code. So I think that's really important to, to create. The second sustainable or practice of the second <laughs> practice of sustainable happiness is to just breathe. Some, so there's some really interesting science that shows if your exhale is just a little bit longer than your inhale, it calms your whole body down. And that, I mean, that just does so much for us, right? So whenever you're spinning and you need to come back into the present moment and just be calm, the most simplest way to do that is to inhale for a count of three or three or four and then exhale for a count of five or six. And if you do that 10 times, which is about a minute, then it's really amazing how much you can just relax and calm down. So remembering to breathe and breathing purposefully is, I think, a really important practice. Another one is to cultivate contentment. And this is a, an idea that I really love from the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And essentially the idea is we spend so much of our time chasing happiness. Um, we think about, I'm going to be happy when I get this job promotion or I lose five pounds or whatever it is. And what that does is it pushes happiness into the future. And what Patanjali, the, the yogi guru or collection of gurus, we don't really know, who wrote the, the yoga sutras, what they, he or they actually say is that when you are content in the present, then all joy will come. And so there, you know, science, social science since then, since the 2000 years that that was written has borne this out. And there are some ways that you can, that you can do that to cultivate contentment. And a gratitude practice is a really strong one, which I highly recommend um, as a daily part of life. And I think that can be a really important part of anyone's yoga practice. And, and that's an, a pretty easy, easy one. So the third then would be cultivating contentment. I am blanking on the fourth. I will think of it. <laughs> and then the fifth one is meditation. And one of the things that I really love about the yoga sutras is that um, they outline eight limbs or eight practices, and the last three are essentially different stages of meditation. So even 2,000 years ago, the yogis knew that some days you're going to sit for your meditation and you're going to think about your grocery list or what else you have to do, and your brain is just not going to stop. And not that the brain is supposed to stop. I, let me say that. That is not the point of meditation. But you're not going to fall into it as easily. And then there are other days where you're going to sit and you are just going to fall so easily into meditation. You'll, you'll 
wonder what happened the day before. And so I really love that, that even then they gave, there was this permission really that not every day you were going to fall into it so easily that this idea that it is a practice and an ongoing effort. So. So it's not a destination. You don't finally get, you don't arrive and go, Ooh, I've got it. No, that would be enlightenment and (laughs) not meditation. (laughs) And I would imagine you'll know it if that happens. You'll go, oh, I got it. Yes, exactly. Cool. Well, if that fourth one comes to you, share. I know. I'm sorry. I will think of it. You know, it's so funny about the whole gratitude because I totally agree. You know, if you, when I start my day with that, it, it takes a different thing, but to your meditation thing, not every day is it as easy to grasp the gratitude, you know, not if you're really going to feel it, you can. Right. So I did a, um, I don't know, maybe this was seven or eight days ago after this kind of a runner of like, constant things that were you know they were good I was engaged but I was mentally wiped right and I'm waking up I'm going gratitude gratitude what is it today and finally I thought I don't know so I wrote in a circle like just something some random thing but it and then I did a mind map instead of writing right all of a sudden I went oh that's because of that because of that 10 minutes later my page wasn't big enough to hold all the connections I felt so energized because I thought, oh my God, look at all this bounty right here. Right, right. It was so great. So, but, but it was about recognizing the bounty that already is. That already existed. Yes. And I, I think too, especially as adults, we think we have to be grateful for these really big grand things. And we do gratitudes at night before bed instead of prayers and doing them with a toddler is incredibly educational because here I am thinking like, Oh, hmm, my gratitude. I am grateful for, I don't know. I guess I got another assignment. Like that's a big thing. Right. And he's grateful for ice cream or for playing in the playground. And it's really, I think it's really important to not put so much pressure on ourselves to think, our gratitudes need to be these like huge things. They can be. And how amazing it is it is it when we have a day where our gratitude is this, I got a book deal. I like landed this client, whatever. I, I qualified for the Boston Marathon, whatever it is, right? That's amazing when that's our gratitude. But there's so much small beauty and abundance in the world. And I think it's really important to recognize that. I agree. You know, sometimes I'm grateful that I arrived somewhere safely in my car. Yes. Not right. sometimes, always I'm grateful. I'm <laughs> not always aware of it. Yeah. Um, but right. So as you, because you're still doing both businesses. Mm-hmm. Yes. You now have a staff of 50. Yeah, give or take. Yeah. Up or down, right? Well, yeah. and I would imagine that you've got also that's the human resource side of it, right? Regardless of size, it's no longer that easy thing you can kind of like control all aspects of. Right. You ever could. So how do you, how do you balance all of that? Do you have any special things or tips that you would offer to folks who are trying to balance a young child, one business, let alone two? Right. Yeah. So balance is my biggest challenge or one of them, I would say. I try and divide my day a little bit so that I'm not juggling between two things. So um, 
Monday mornings, Mondays are, are a busy day with the studio. And so Monday mornings, I prioritize the studio. And then after lunch, I shift my brain back to writing. I don't spend a whole whole morning, every morning, every day on the studio. It kind of depends on what goes, what's going on. It's a job and a business that very much fluctuates with busy times. I actually have a um, I stick very closely to this. It's a trick that I learned from Tim Ferriss in the four hour work week, where I have a legal pad next to my desk and it has three lists on it. My writing to do list, my past tense to do list, and then my personal list. And it's, every, I mean, it's everything. And, you know, right now my writing list has 16 things on it and my past tense list has only 11. That's a good, that's a good week. And it's not everything that has to get done in a week. It's just all the projects that are going on. And then at the end of each day, I look at the big list and I pick three to five things from that to focus on the next day. And that, not necessarily, like some days it might be all writing. Sometimes like we're getting ready for our 10th anniversary um, party at the studio. So there have been more days lately where it's more studio related. Um, it just kind of depends on what, what is going on. It's never all the fun personal things <laughs> I want to be doing, but um, they, they make it on there sometimes. So it just, it just sort of depends, but I keep it to three to five. And I don't let myself put more on there because I can't get more done. If, if I manage to get the three to five done, then it's amazing. I can add more things. I can look at the master list or I can be like, hey, that was a really good work day. Go read a book, go for a walk. So I very rarely do that, but I dream. I dream of being able to do that. A little fantasy. Right. So that that definitely helps keep me organized. Um, The other thing is my email is on almost the whole day. I'll turn it off if I'm working on a big story or just need to focus but I don't respond all the time. I don't respond right away. I actually block off times to respond to emails because I could spend my entire day just on email and then I'm not actually getting anything done. So um, so those are some of the tips I have to, to try and maintain balance. Good old Tim Ferriss. Those were some- Exactly. Oh my God, I know. Once I realized I was not at the beck and call of my email, I went- Oh, it's so very freeing. Right. Right. It's not lost. It's sitting there. It's it's there. Right. And my my team at Past Tense, they know like I don't I'll see the email come in on the weekend or in the evening, but I don't respond to it. So if you need me, if this is like a for real, I need you now after hours, hours, quote unquote, because the studio is working longer than I am, then they know to call or text me. And I think setting that up and setting up some personal boundaries is really important because we are in a culture right now where we we could and we're encouraged to be on and work all the time. And that is just downright unhealthy. Do you see that shifting? Are people starting to push back more like you are and just go, you know what? I'm going to be responsive, responsible, and available, but within limits? Or do you still see that I've got to always be on thing? I don't know. You know, with, with my, my, the team at the yoga studio, 
I see less of that. And I don't know less of feeling like you have to be on all the time. I don't know if I've set a tone and very much encouraged people to have actual days off, especially my full-time yoga instructors who are bouncing between multiple studios all the time, or if it's the personality of someone who's drawn to a career in yoga and physical fitness. Some of my, a lot of my teachers teach yoga and Pilates or yoga and HIIT or other classes. Because I also know when I see my, my husband and his work, it's a lot more on all the time. Um, so I don't, I don't really know. I, I hope people are starting to push back on that. I, I just, I think it's probably one of the most unhealthy things I've seen our culture shift to. And it's actually one of the things I miss most about living in Europe is that it is when we were there, which it's been a few years, but it was not like this, you know, that, that, you came home and you put your phone down and your boss wasn't calling you on it anyway. So <laughs> it was nice. So quit looking at it. Yes, right. Yeah. I, the reason I asked you this, I'm actually seeing a few people. Mm-hmm. Start to push like, back. Yeah, but I also think it's because there's been given permission to it. So like to your point of setting a tone, if your industry or your, if that's the norm that no, when I call you answer, yeah, then it may not be happening there. But my right. fantasy, much as like yours as you're going to be reading a book, is that we get a little more sanity back and realize just because I could reach you doesn't mean I should reach you. Right. Right. And right. you'll see it when you see it. It's because I haven't right. heard from so-and-so. I'm going, I might be on a vacation with no yeah. one. You could call them. Yeah. Call them. <laughs> Don't bother. No. So, okay. I'll keep my fingers crossed on that, that we're starting to dial back a little bit. A little bit. Well, yeah. because it gets your, um, it just hooks that auto response thing going. So your brain starts going, you start fighting, and then you're, then you are in your head going, and we right. all need to be at your studio just going, get yeah. out. And then I think it impacts our sleep. And um, I think if you're one of those people who's waking up at three or four o'clock in the morning and your brain just starts going, I, I mean... I think there's a lot of reasons for that. And I'm a person who for a long time, that was almost every night I would wake up like that. And once I did start to establish that boundary of not, not engaging with my email after work, after dinner, that stopped like going, then I was going to bed having watched a fun TV show or having read a book or something besides looking at my email and then you go to bed and you're thinking about work. Yeah. Cause your little brain just keeps working on it for you. Right. Whether right. you're present or not. Right. So I think I would ask you as we're wrapping this up, what's a piece of advice that you would offer all of our busy women and men who are out there to help kind of not even balance, but to stay true to who they are. Yeah, really connect to that amongst all the noise and the stuff that draws our attention. Yeah, I I would say find your yoga practice in the most broad way I can describe yoga as. So where where is it that you are quiet and calm and Maybe if you're super lucky in that slow state, you know, are you gardening? Are you out walking 
hiking in nature? Are you, is it when you go for a run? And maybe, you know, I would really suggest people spend, set a timer for three to five minutes and just bring up onto a piece of paper all the times they have felt that kind of calm, steady flow state. And you'll start to recognize some patterns. Like for me, mine are very movement oriented, yoga, running, hiking, skiing. But for some people, you might start to recognize patterns like, oh, it's gardening. It's when I go for a walk. It's when I'm with my dog and it might be nature. And so I think once you understand what it is, where are the moments where you are in that calm, still flow, maybe flow, but definitely calm and still steady state, then you can cultivate more of those opportunities. And I think it's really important that everyone, everyone has five minutes, I mean, 10, if you're really feeling lucky, a day to have to be in that calm, steady state, right? And if you can have five minutes of that time, 10 minutes of that time before you go into work, and then when you come home from work, or when you transition from, for those of us who work from home before you transition from work, Kelly, to home, Kelly, I just think you're going to find much greater balance professionally and personally and with your family. And so I would say in the broadest sense, find your yoga practice. And for me, that means what are, what is your calm? What are, when are you calm and steady and then cultivate that as much as you can? I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I'm imagining that many of those things are in your new book as well, understanding yeah. it. Is that correct? Yes. Tell us just a little bit about your book, because I know we can get it on Amazon. Yes, Amazon bookstores. bookstores, right? There's a great website called IndieBound, which will tell you, you can plug in your zip code and it'll tell you if you want to support your local bookstore. Right. Um, Shambhala is our publishing house. You can buy it on their website. So the book is called Living the Sutras, A Guide to Yoga Wisdom Beyond the Mat. And what we did is we took the, the yoga sutras, this ancient yoga wisdom that outlined what yoga is and what the practices are. And we gave very modern interpretations of what that is. So you do not have to have, if you're interested in philosophy or spirituality or anything like that, you, I think you'll find something in this for you, not just people who are interested in yoga. And then after each, after each kind of modern explanation for what the sutras are, what that particular sutra said, uh, we give a writing prompt. And you, you can just think about it. Sometimes journaling stresses people out, <laughs> but it's a way for you to make it really personal and relevant to you. And so actually what I was saying about thinking about when you've been in flow, that is that example comes from the book, right? So some of the things we have asked people to do is think about all of the labels that you have for yourself. So mom, yogi, runner, businesswoman, journalist, short, all of the things. <laughs> and then later in different exercises, we have you come back to that list and kind of think about Think about them and all of this, the point of all of it is to try and help people do two things, help them find their purpose in life, their unique, in yoga we call it dharma, but their purpose. And the second is to live with more joy every day. So that is what the book is about. 
Great. Well, we'll have a link to it in the podcast. Thank you. Um, and it speaks to my heart, especially the labels piece, right? Because sometimes <laughs> we never think beyond the labels and that's right. as far as we go. Exactly. So I'm looking forward to reading it myself. And Kelly, I wish you all the best. And I can't Thank wait to you. share this podcast with everybody. Thank you so much for having me. This is a delight. Thanks. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. We hope you like what you heard. And if you did, we ask that you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. If you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share. And until next time, have a great week living a no labels, no limits, and no excuses life.